0: Good morning, everyone. If um, We're starting a new series today, sort of, on Revelation. Uh, but it starts in Revelation 15, and if you're wondering why that's the case, it's because we started this series in June of 2015, two years ago. And then it got delayed and put off and put off. But I had one persistent sister, Mickey Mendez, she kept saying, I want to go back to Revelation. Mickey, we're back in Revelation. We're there. All right. And so I'm doing it for Mickey. I, that, that's, that's, uh, but I hope I'm doing it for you too. And may all of us be blessed by this God's word. Um, now, in case we need a reminder, and for those of you who've jumped on in between 2015 and now, the meaning behind the title post-apocalyptic church m- may seem strange. Post-apocalyptic tends to be um, the definition of that tends to be uh, uh, it's, it's, it's the world following a disaster. The world following some sort of nuclear holocaust. And so you have the world of Mad Max or something like that or Hunger Games. But apocalyptic and the apocalypse is the real name. Apocalypse is the true name of the revelation. The apocalypse of John. And it means the revealing. It means that something has been shown and revealed, the truth, like never before. And here was the Christian church in the first century. And and, and they they had the Old Testament scriptures and the gospel message was being shared. And yet somewhere along the line, Jesus Christ gives them this new revelation. We are that church that stands on this side of that new revelation of Jesus Christ. And I think that ought to change things. I think that ought to make us look at this message not with suspicion or or wonder or worry, but with gratitude that we have this fully revealed truth. We're the church that is after the revealing that we find in the book of revelation would you pray with me father we ask that your words would shape us into the kind of people into the kind of church that you've always intended for us to be father we are constantly being pulled upon by other by other voices by other images by other desires we're surrounded by lies It gets wearying trying to find out who's lying to us and who's not. But Lord, help us to rest fully and finally in your truth. Knowing that the truth has been revealed and that we can take our stand there and overcome the world if we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Help us to live our lives in such a way. Be with us. As I preach, and as we all hear the word, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 15 says this. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying... Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. But your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished." To get to the meaning of Revelation 15, let's go back to another chapter though. Exodus chapter 15. And in Exodus chapter 15, the story of Moses and Moses' song is told. And imagine what it would have been like to be one of the children of Israel rescued from Egypt. One of the refugees from Egypt. People who for centuries have been so unimportant that their lives were expendable in making monuments for the dictator of the Egyptian empire. And now because God has shown his power and humbled Pharaoh and demonstrated that power, these people are finally set free. So off they go, leaving that empire going to a future that's, that's unknown to them, following the promises of a God that their ancestors knew, but a God who's still very new to them. And now they stand on the other side of the Red Sea, where once before crossing it, they had been trapped between the waters of the sea and the armies of the great empire of Egypt barreling down on them. Heavy armament in the form of horses and chariots. But then God uses the elements of the earth to open up that water. And they cross over on dry land. And now here they are on the other side of the crossing. And God uses those elements to defeat the mightiest army on earth. And so they sing a song. Horse and rider, you've thrown into the sea. And on and on the song goes in Exodus 15. But just imagine what it would have been like. To be standing on the other side of that sea, victorious. Watching God not only deliver you to safety, it wasn't just an escape, but now it's a real victory. No wonder that story gets told over and over again. Every Passover feast includes this story. All All of the ways and the customs of those people. That God delivered and set up in the promised land will tell this story over and over again. This is what the Song of Moses is all about. That God, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, delivers these people from the great and powerful empire and saves them and rescues them with the powers of the earth. Imagine that. No longer frightened. They see that mighty army drowning and being swept away. Now John, in this revelation, though, sees a different group singing. And they're singing the song of Moses, but they're also singing the song of the Lamb. Now sometime if you want to take Exodus 15 and compare it to Revelation 15 and those two songs, you'll notice that it's not exactly the same. But there's some elements in it best way I know how to explain it is the song of Moses and the Lamb samples the song of Moses. Yeah. And you think, well, that's silly. You know? Yeah, well, that's, that, that's the best thing. Well, it's kind of like, you know, I remember when M.C. Hammer first said, you can't touch this. And the whole time I'm listening to him and watching him dance in his parachute pants, I'm thinking, that's Rick James. He stole that song from Rick James. He's sampling Rick James. Revelation 15, the song of Moses and the Lamb, you are supposed to recognize the song of Moses in that. It's intentional. When John says that, he says, oh, this is just like that song that you know. That song of Moses, you know the one, the one that goes horse and rider, he's thrown into the sea. He wants you to remember that. He wants you to remember the Exodus story. He wants you to remember the Exodus song. But this is also the song of the Lamb. And by the way, when he looks and he sees this great sign in heaven, there's also a sea, a sea mixed with fire. Sort of like the God who led them with a cloud of day, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And there's a temple filled with smoke. Do you see all the, the notes and the sounds and the images that are being sampled by John in the Revelation? Do you see it? It's meant to be there that is intentional but it's also something new it gets updated now back in revelation 5 he's already shown us the image of the lamb who was slaughtered the lamb that was killed but also the lamb that lives and is worthy to break open the seals he has the authority in other words, he has the passcode to get into the will of God and open it up and carry it out. The thing is, instead of it being the mighty lion of the tribe of Judah, which he is, he's also the sacrificial lamb that is slain. And that's a, that's a mysterious combination of images. And maybe here we are ten chapters later and we're still listening to John and we're, we're still trying to put that together. Maybe John himself is trying to put all this together. But to sing the song of the Lamb means that there's something a little different about this. And I'll tell you one difference, the one that caught me first of all. They're singing this song on the wrong side of the sea. You can't sing the song of Moses before you cross the sea. You can't sing the song of Moses while you're trapped between the armies of Pharaoh and the sea that God has not yet opened up. When you're stuck between the army and the elements, you're singing a different song. You're singing the song that is something along the lines of, oh, help us, God. Okay? You're singing the song of worry and fear. You're singing the song of, oh, please. You don't sing your victory song. You don't sing your fight song before you win the game. No no team does that. No team is that brash. And if they are, they deserve to lose. But here in this image, that's the way it's supposed to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, the bowls haven't even been poured out. The wrath of God hasn't even been emptied. And yet, here's this group, and the thing to do is to sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. How can they do that? Well, take a look back at Revelation 5 just very quickly. In Revelation 5, the song that the group around the throne is singing about the Lamb. And it includes those creatures who show up again in 15. It includes all those elders, uh, th- those, those harps that the 24 elders are playing and now the seven angels have these harps. It's very similar imagery. Worthy, verse, uh, verse 9, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the throne and the living creatures, the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory might forever and ever all of that power of creation that god summons to defend israel is now praising this lamb but he's called the lamb who was slain we don't get exposed to imagery like this i think as often as we should Here's this lamb. He's got his victory flag. But he's also bleeding because he's being slain. Uh, You know, a little bit of artistic license there, but it's like he's got his throat slit, which means he's being slaughtered. How can someone or something, a lamb that's being slain, be victorious? That's why the song of the lamb is different. That in that, Defeat, God transforms it into victory. Uh, The song of Moses and the Lamb is a song that says what we in the world call defeat, God can transform into victory. And and the message that's coming to us, the post-apocalyptic church knows that even if we are defeated here, god still accomplishes the victory we can sing the victory song on this side of the crossing because the lamb has already won the victory the lamb has already overcome i want to show you a few things that come from this this most significant sign the first of that is this is considered the end of god's wrath Next week, Lord willing, as we get into this this cycle of these seven bowls being poured out, and seven is that number of completion, and and when these bowls are are poured out, God's wrath is emptied. No more wrath. And God has been storing up that wrath. But now, now he can empty it, and now justice can come about. And these two go together. It's the start of the age of justice. Now, God's justice is the same, always has been. But there's this hope of a time where justice lives and operates fully in our our new heaven and our new earth in such a way that we don't feel the imbalance of injustice anymore. But do you understand the task of God, that He's got to balance out His mercy and His justice? And if we call out for justice... To God, he hears us. But the thing is, if God just acts immediately, some of us are going to get smashed by that hand of justice. You know, we read the story of God freeing the slaves from Egypt. God has opposed the oppressor, Egypt, and he's delivering the oppressed, the slaves, the children of Israel. Sometimes, which side of that ledger do we find ourselves on? God is, Thank God that he's saving this wrath, because he's finally working this out so that at the same time He delivers justice, he also delivers salvation. Let me say something about the wrath of God that we notice here. When God pours out this wrath, this wrath is, is more than just God smashing bad people with a hammer or a fist. In, in Romans 1, 24 and 25, I want to read that, there's an interesting definition of God's wrath that I think fits with Revelation. God gave them up, and here Paul's talking about those people, those people out there who aren't like us, those people who... Um, who sin and do all these things and, and they're of the world. And by the way, if you keep reading Romans 1 and 2, uh, just as he kind of gives us a glimpse, you know maybe we, we get up on a stool to look over the fence at those people, he's going to kick the, the stool out from under us and say, and so are we. And nobody gets away from this, this understanding that, that we've all sinned and fallen short. There's no self-righteousness allowed But he says, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts and to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. The wrath of God is not just to... um, hit these people, spank these people, punish these people, deliver bad things on these people, but sometimes the wrath of God is to give us exactly what we want, to give us up to what our own desires, we, and we, we enjoy the consequences of that. Now, that's a very chilling definition of wrath, but I think one that may fit more with, with, with the reality that we find ourselves in. And it's the one that fits with with Revelation. Because in Revelation, those who choose to follow the beast, the enemy, and his lies and worship him are going to suffer the consequences of that. And that includes not only, well, let me say it like this, the non-Christians. It includes even the Christians who compromise. But who they worship matters the justice of god comes about and you see an image of it peter uh we, we've heard from paul let's hear from peter peter talks about a, a time in first peter 3 and, I, and i'm oh i think i've got that wrong that should be uh second yes yeah, second peter in second peter 3 uh, 13 not one through three but in second peter 3 13 peter speaks of a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells you ever having one of those moments when you're wondering i wonder what the new heaven the new earth will be like are we all going to be wearing golden slippers floating around on clouds playing harps having halos which i hear that it's boring you know um i don't want to wear a white robe and uh i mean that sounds terrible doesn't it you know but i mean i feel like i'm in my pajamas and and i don't you know and other people are going to be there, so it's just kind of weird. But I know there's got to be more to it than that. You know, it all means something. I like what Peter says. He says, well, listen, the new heaven and the new earth is a place where you see righteousness everywhere. The characteristic of the new heaven and the new earth is that you don't have to look for righteousness. It's, it's settled in. It's concretized. It's solid. It's real. That's that's the kind of righteousness that's promised in the Beatitudes. That's the kind of righteousness that's promised when Jesus starts giving us a vision of the kingdom. This sign says that we can sing the song of Moses and the Lamb because that new heaven and that new world is assured to us and even on this side of the crossing, it might as well be that we are on the other. It's that, it's that assured that it will happen. And then there's the ransom of nations. There's a way of reading Revelation where uh, we find out that um, you know, this is just about stuff in the past. This is all about Rome. Rome. All that stuff about Rome, it happened, it's done with. He's talking about Rome. You can read Rome into it. Well, thank goodness that's okay. And then we can fold up Revelation very nicely and set it on the shelf. But he never really mentions Rome. He mentions Babylon. Oh, and that was hundreds of years before Rome. But that was the evil empire at one time. And God's people were in exile there. Well, here he's singing the song of Moses and the evil empire is Egypt. And that's thousands of years before Babylon. So so what's going on? Who, Who exactly are we talking about? Is it Egypt? Is it Babylon? Is it Rome? The answer is yes, it is, and yet it's more. It's not just those. It's every nation. It's every nation. It's every ruler. It's every government that sets itself up against God it's every nation every government that needs to be fully redeemed and that is every nation and the image this, what you see in the song of Moses and the lamb is that the lamb through his blood because he's been slain he has ransomed people from every nation there is no preferred nation Rome doesn't get a special pass Egypt doesn't get a special pass Babylon doesn't get a special pass even Israel doesn't get a special pass Because people from Israel and every nation are redeemed by the blood of the lamb You want to really drive this home? Guess what? America doesn't get a special pass. Oh my goodness Does that mean we're anti-american? No, not at all What it's saying is it's saying that the true salvation of the people of America is found in the blood of the lamb not in any government not in any program not in any politics or party you know deep in the roots of i i I want to pray sometimes sometimes in churches of christ well we knock on ourselves we talk about what we've gotten wrong you know and know okay that's just i think that might be one of the things we do well we're we're very good at knocking on our past i don't know um I was actually in a group, and they said, you know, one of the things that people on the outside have said about us is uh, that, we're, uh, that we are a self-loathing tradition. And being the smart aleck that I am, I said, well, I think we could do better. And um, Silliness. But, you know, there's things that, that, that have gone well. I mean, God's at work in this movement. Like you see him at work in, in the world at different times and different movements. He's at work in this. And and I love reading from times past, you know, in the 18th century, uh, 19th, and the 20th century, and you see people like Barton Stone and and, uh, David Lipscomb. And sometimes they were considered radical for their time, but they said, look, you cannot fully place your confidence and trust in any civil government on earth. Why? Because the day will come when Christ returns and he will break down every government and rule over it. He will, I mean, that, what he's saying is, and, and, and David Lipscomb lived through the Civil War, he's saying every government on earth is, is in the end, confederate money. <laughs> it runs out. It's no longer backed by the government. It, it's done. It expires. And the, the lamb is the one that, when we, when we trust him and put our faith and allegiance in him fully, we know that his blood ransoms people from every nation. And so you and I are the redeeming force. We're the leaven in our own nation, not just in other nations around the earth. And by the way, if America is not your nation, then whatever nation you're from, you are the leaven to that nation. We are the redeeming force. We are the ones that God has sent out as agents to speak of the redeeming power and the ransoming of the blood of the Lamb. Here's the statement that I like best of all. There's a line in this song of Moses and the Lamb. John describes it in verse 2. He saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name. Next time you hear something on Revelation and they get really hung up on what six 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 is, and that that six 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 is going to kill us all, Uh, you know whether it's barcodes or some sort of uh, you know supercomputer or whatever it is, I don't know. It's one of the reasons I love Revelation is it it just generates some crazy stories. But you got to keep reading into chapter fifteen. Guess what? There's a way to overcome that number of its name, whatever that thing is. And we're not just overcomers like oh, well, we survived it. You know, we survived it, it like a bad, like it was a bad disease, or it was, you know, like it was a car accident that we narrowly missed. He says they conquered. They conquered. Who knows why Nike shoes are called Nike? yeah what's nike mean olivia victory very good she knows her greek and uh i'm proud of her nike is victory that's a great name for a shoe company you know an athletic shoe company and uh and and they thought about that name so if you were thinking you know well that's the name of mr nike who made the shoes no it's it's a word that means victory And they wanted to symbolize that. The word that's being used here for conquering is victory. It's Nike. That's the word that we get Nike from. They conquer the beast. How did they conquer the beast? By being faithful to the lamb. They conquer, the lamb conquers the beast because God will not let his death be the end by being willing to die and obey God by giving up all of his power and authority he wins now that is what strikes us as unusual and it cuts against the grain of what we know because we believe in strength by power strength by might we need to be the strongest the biggest the most powerful the richest the most intelligent the brightest the wisest the most beautiful. We think that if we have all of those abundant qualities, then we will win. We want to be super-powered. But trusting in the Lamb whose blood ransoms all nations, conquering the beast and his false image and his false worship means that like the Lamb we may have to go through death, persecution, misunderstanding. It means humility to the Lamb. We conquer the beast and the lies of this age by trusting fully in the Lamb of God, even when it costs us. Now believe it or not, you've actually seen that and maybe you didn't know. When you, when you Google uh, uh, victory formation or quarterback kneeling, you're going to get a bunch of pictures of Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick. I'm so frustrated because I'm like, neither one of those is what I want. So finally I found this little high school team, and there they are. They're doing what's called the victory formation. It's at the end of the game. Here in this picture, the, the team in the black jerseys, they've obviously they've got the score. Clock needs to be run out. So what does he do? He takes a knee. He takes a knee. One of the words for worship that we have in the New Testament and in Revelation means that we bow on our knee. We show humility. The victory formation, and that's not easy, and the victory formation (laughs) means taking that knee. But you know what actually happens? It's really interesting when you read the stats loss of yardage, loss of down. You give up a down. You actually lose a little to win the game. Isn't that interesting? It's called the victory formation. And yet technically, it, it, it's, it's, it's like you might as well just uh, have been tackled. You tackled yourself. <laughs> and maybe that's what we need to do to follow the Lamb. Is We need to tackle ourselves. We need to take a knee and, and be humble. And let the Lamb give us that victory. That's how you sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Uh, Right now, what we do in our worship time is we have a time for that kind of humility. And I don't know how you need to, we call it a response. I don't know how you need to respond today. Maybe you need to take this home and think about this, read these scriptures that were up here on the screen. Maybe you need to talk to people in your small group today. Maybe you just need to pray about it. We're not going to uh, discourage any kind of response that needs to happen today. In fact, we put elders down here. We have elders back there. And here's the thing, the only thing I ask. These shepherds who are going to meet with you are there to be a servant, to be a pastor, uh, to be a minister to you. And we minister to one another. In one sense, you may need to say something to your brothers and sisters in Christ for encouragement. And we're all about that. We're okay with that. But your first step needs to be to bow down to your King, Jesus Christ, the Lamb that was slain. That that needs to be the first thing that we do. And so I don't want you to think of this as coming before the church. Can we not think of these moments... As all of us are singing, because we're all going to be standing up singing here in a bit, but can we not think of all of us as coming before the Lamb? Sometimes we get so caught up with coming before the church or standing before the church that we just ignore the Lamb. Hey, you and I are just servants like Moses of the one who's on the throne and the Lamb who is worthy to carry out the will of the one who's on the throne pray with me father we ask that you would bless us in hearing this word i pray that your spirit will be working in the hearts of all of us who've heard this including myself and i pray that as you give us time that that your spirit will work in us so that we will know what it means to sing the song of the lamb that we will know what it means to overcome to conquer the beast and his lies and his image and his schemes And I pray that we will trust in you even when that costs us. I pray that we will have the strength to trust in you. Lord, we confess to you that we've we've sided with the oppressors too often, that we've been the oppressors, and we ask your forgiveness, and we ask that you would guide us and that you would um, help us when we're scared and we're frightened and we're, or we're just too lazy or we don't have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. We pray for that spiritual transformation that calls us into the joy of serving you and following you and that confidence that we can even sing the victory song on this side of the crossing. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing.